What is Demystifying Research? Hosted by me, Kelly Harris. And me, Catherine Hoyt. Demystifying Research is a space where we dialogue on training, careers, and all things research. Everything from is research right for me to thinking about applications, mentorship, which research degree is right for me, handling failure and rejection, CVs versus resumes, and funding. This is a space where we engage in discussions around the questions we all have or have had when considering a career in research and science. As clinician scientists, we seek to answer questions and address issues that aren't clearly addressed in more formal spaces, things that weren't addressed in our clinical training, questions that we may not know how or where to begin to seek answers. This is not a space only for scientists and researchers, but for anyone who may be interested in science and research. We're so glad you've joined us. Let's dive in. Um, and I'm excited about to talk uh, today about managing failure and rejection. And so as our special <laughs> guest, we have Jacqueline Schwartz, and I'm going to let her introduce herself as well. Hi, I am an assistant professor at Washington University in St. Louis, also in the program of occupational therapy. I'm an occupational therapist by training, and my area of research is about um, helping people better take their medications as prescribed. Awesome. Thanks for being with us today, Jacqueline, Dr. Schwartz. Uh, so maybe just to kick off the conversation, the reason we wanted to have this talk about managing failure and rejection is we think it's something that happens for, to everybody. So why do you think managing failure and rejection is so important for people if they're considering a career in research or science? So I think research and science is really hard, right? And if it wasn't really hard, we all wouldn't be in school for like 10, 15 years. Um, and so, you know, growing hurts because you have to do something where your skills aren't there yet. And the only way to, to grow your skills is to, to do something a little hard. Um, like as Glennon Doyle says, we could, we could do hard things. And so, um, you know, if you choose a career in science, you're choosing to grow your skills for a long period of time. And, and even as an early career faculty member, I'm like still growing my skills and growth still hurts. And so I think that's why, um, you know, there's a lot of failure because it's part of the growth process. That's a good way to frame it. I hadn't really thought about it like that, that growth requires a little bit of pushback. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's interesting. I remember thinking when I was doing my PhD, um, I know I'm sure I've told you this story, Catherine. I don't know if I've said it on here, but um, I remember working with my uh, dissertation advisor who I felt like was like, you know, this well-renowned person, right? Always successful, had done all of these great things. And we got this feedback that was crushing to me. And he was like excited and like, oh my God, this is how we make it better. This is, you know, it, like, he was jumping in and it just changed my whole framing of about failure and rejection because it wasn't really failure. It was really about, like you said, Jacqueline, growth and how do you make it better? And the other thing I think about is like, you know, we're in this in academia where there, there's limited money, right? And there's limited everything. And so um, like you're not going to get everything. And sometimes <laughs> you have to not get something to get that next thing, right? And so it's about kind of building that resilience and really thinking about, you um, what do I do next? How do I build on this? Even if, you know, this wasn't the outcome I wanted, but maybe it was still the right outcome to kind of get me to that next stage. So um, yeah, I, I like that framing, the growth framing. 
So I like a like, growth mindset almost. I feel like I needed this yeah. personally this week because like the failure or the rejection or like not feeling like you're good enough or like your ideas are good enough. It can weigh a lot on you um, and take a moment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think that's part of like the growth too. So like in academia, I feel, well, I, a lot of us are growing our research skills, but we're also growing our interpersonal skills. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think like, as I've gotten more mature as a researcher, I've stopped like internalizing that, um, like my failures are a failure of me. It was more like a fa failure of that idea or that specific uh, proposal. And so as I've stopped like internalizing the failure more the you know, the happier and well-adjusted person I've, I've been. <laughs> yeah, it makes me think of the four agreements, right? Like don't take it personally. It's yeah. hard sometimes though, when we really hard. care about something like, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like especially papers, if I've submitted a paper and it comes back with all of these feed, like this feedback that can improve it. And I know that, but I love this paper and I care about it so much uh, that it can hurt still. Yeah, it's an investment. You know, we put all this time and energy into whatever papers, grants, applications. Um, so yeah. So let's, I guess, talk a little bit more specifically. I shared kind of one example. Um, can you talk about a specific rejection experience that you had and how you responded to that? Sure. So, I mean, and I think this is one of the things that we don't talk about enough because everyone in academia has manuscripts that weren't accepted, has grants that weren't funded, like, and just nobody talks about it because you look at people's CVs and you see like what they have accomplished, but you don't see like for every grant that people get, like you don't see the 10 grants or 20 grants that they submitted and didn't get. Um, and then even like over the course of a career, um, I mean, my career in academia has not been that long so far, um, but I could see my like success rates increasing. And so it was particularly as a, a younger person in academia looking at some more senior faculty and they just seem so successful all the time, like you are not seeing those years and years at the beginning where they were much less successful. Um, but in, in terms for me, you know, I have so many stories about rejection and failures. It's hard to pick one. Um, but, you know, I recently applied for um, an RO3 and the first time I submitted it and it wasn't successfully funded. And I thought like that my grant submission was awesome and like nothing, you know, there was nothing wrong with it. And like the reviewers were like all wrong. Um, and so I, you know, I let myself have those feelings. <laughs> But then, you know, I got the reviewer feedback and they, they, so the way it works with NIH is you get your score. And then after you get your score, you get the feedback. So you have this period of time where you know how you scored or, you know, like if you got discussed, but you don't know why, like why your score is what it is. Um, so you have this period of time where you could just like feel all your feelings, but then you get the feedback and you're like, oh, wow, like this is a good point. And like this, this would be much better if I did that. Um, so, you know, I had my feelings that I looked at the feedback, I made improvements, and then I submitted it again, and it was funded the second time. And it was a much better grant because, you know, I got this feedback. Um, 
And I'm just so glad. I'm so glad it wasn't funded the first time, even though like at the time it wasn't funded. I was like so mad about it. <laughs> I feel like what all of that you said made it like a few really good points. Like when you see somebody's CV or like these people that are your mentors or faculty members, they've accomplished so much, but you don't necessarily know everything that they did to accomplish all of that. Um, and it made me think actually of a friend of ours that keeps a CV of persistence and like just like an Excel spreadsheet of like everything like that they've even if it hasn't turned into a funded thing, it's like, look how much how hard you've worked. Yeah, I, that's an interesting idea. And I think, you know, we talk about this sometimes, right? Like you don't just celebrate the successes and the wins, you celebrate the submissions, you celebrate the mm -hmm. completion, you celebrate. And that I think can help us to then cope with that kind of, you know, temporary failure is what I'll call it, right? Because um, like you said, Jacqueline, it's um, might be failure, but it's like great feedback that then makes it better, that makes it stronger. I think about it too. I was thinking about what you said about papers and, and um, you know, we put all this time and energy into it. And sometimes we're so deep in it that we can't see what's wrong with it. We can't, we need that external eye. And so um, seeing it as that opportunity to get that feedback is, is key. Um, and the other thing about failure too is a lot of times, like we like to think like everything is about us, but a lot of times it's just not about you. Um, so, you know, going back to like grants and, and even journal articles, um, like for grants, like I have no personal control over the budget of NIH. So when I think back to like very senior people, the funding lines at NIH, like 30, 40, 50% sometimes of the grants being submitted were getting funded. Um, when our most senior mentors were starting their career. And that's just not the case now. You know, sometimes it's, you know, between five and like 20% of applications get funded. So it's just a different environment. Um, and so a lot of times, like, you know, there are aspects that you can control, but then there are also aspects about failure that you, you know, you just can't control. Or if, for example, you're searching for a PhD position or you're searching for a faculty position, um, there could be a position open in a place that you really want to go, but if they're looking for someone with expertise in pediatrics and you're, you know, all your expertise is in adults, then it's just not going to happen. And it's not because of you. It's just, it's not a match at that time. Yeah. So you've already talked, I think, about some really good points. Like, do you have any thoughts or, or things that you've done in your past when you've experienced a rejection with a grant or a paper? that you've done that maybe might be helpful for others to hear? Yeah, um, so I think it's helpful to know that failure happens to everyone. So I try and like remind myself of it. And then just to know that it's okay to like feel your feelings so you get it. And you know, whatever feelings you have, those are valid. Um, and so like Renee Brown recommends like journaling and writing a, a shitty first draft of like what you're feeling and why. Um, and so that helps you move past the feelings and then to reflect on like what, you know, what your feelings are telling you about, you know, whatever happened and, and what you really want. Um, so I think journaling can happen. Peer support's always good. So I know um, we're in some social groups that like if someone has a, a failure, they'll talk about it and, you know, we'll all give them like a virtual cheers for, for trying. Um, so social support's always good. Um, and then I keep going back to just like 
trying not to internalize that like my self-worth is not tied to my productivity and my successes as an academician. Um, so that's something I still have to remind myself of. I know I've been told a number of times by different mentors, like when I get a paper rejection or even just like, it's not a rejection maybe, but like they send back the reviewer comments. I like read them and I put them away for a day or two because I'll read them and get like myself worked up about the comments. Like, no, you're wrong for this reason. Like this is how it should be. Um, and I really have to put it away before I can then come back to it and be like, okay, these are reasonable comments clearly, or like maybe the comment is because I didn't write it clearly enough and I still think I'm right, but maybe I can reframe this in a way that, um, but it takes me a minute personally. <laughs> I don't know, Kelly, yeah. if you have any similar experiences. Oh, for I sure. You do. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I was just thinking a couple different things, right? I kept, I was thinking to myself, like, we have to kind of normalize failure and not in a way yeah. that we're seeking failure, right? But like, shattering the norm that um, of what success looks like right especially in academia because we have this picture that is just not reality um you, you talked about that Jacqueline like thinking that you know everybody is so successful when when they're not and one of the things that's helped me is a, a lot of talks I've gone to people actually lay out their failures and like the larger number of failures than they have of successes and yet these are very successful people right so it's had kind of helped to shift my framing um years ago when I was in clinical practice, I read this book called Before I Quit My Job and I got it like, oh, I'm going to learn all these great things I need to do right before I go into private practice. And the whole book was about failure. And so as I'm reading it, I'm like, you know, it took it took a while to kind of understand that a like, you know, thinking about failure being the only way we grow. Right. So you don't really get better with your successes. I mean, you do like you have an opportunity to do things and learn. But the success in and of itself doesn't make you better. It's like the recognition of the growth you've already had, whereas the failure actually makes you better. And I think shifting that framing was really helpful for me and helped me survive um, my doctoral program. <laughs> and then I feel like these early years of um, as faculty, it, it's like that is how you survive is learning that, yeah, my self-worth is not tied to responses from journal editors or reviewers or grant reviewers but um and i like that idea about persistence Catherine. i'm thinking a lot about that like this you know just kind of thinking about what you're doing as opposed to how others are responding to what you're doing mm -hmm. is such a better shift so um yeah while you were saying that i was thinking about like reframing too so somebody recently in my life said that a mentor of hers had talked about like we were comp I was saying like oh my god writing this grant is so hard I'm like stressed out about it and her mentor suggested reframing it as grant writing heaven because how cool that we get to just like sit here and write about our ideas and like that's pretty cool and when I think about it like that I put a post-it on my computer that says grant writing heaven so that when in any moment that I'm like oh I hate this this is so hard why am I doing this like it's actually cool. I get to propose to do whatever I want. Yeah. yeah. What you were saying, Kelly, reminds me of this um, study by NIH. So they looked at NIH grantee success. And um, I'm just going off of memory, so I might not get the details 100% right. But they found that people who 
first submission to NIH failed were more successful than people who had gotten the grant the first time. And so I think it just like helps people to internalize the lesson that you have to persist um, and just keep trying. Yeah. We're really already talking about this. Um, the next question I was going to ask is really, you know, does it get easier, right? Um, and do we still experience it? And I think we've all said yes <laughs> to that bit, right? But like, you know, does it get easier? Um, do you really kind of develop a thicker skin and, and um, manage better? So I don't know, either of you, what are your thoughts? I don't know if you... I don't know. I mean, it does, it definitely gets easier. And I don't know if it's because, well, so you develop like emotional growth to like better handle, um, you know, failure and rejection. But then also like I've, I have more realistic expectations as I've grown in my career. So now like when I plan, plan a grant submission, I not only plan the initial submission, like I plan for it to not, you know, to not be funded and to be submitting again. So I already have like the resubmission on my calendar or when I'm like thinking about where I'm gonna submit an article, I don't think about one publication, I'll think about three. So when I'm talking with my co-authors, I'll be like, okay, like where are we gonna submit and in what order? Um, so in case like, you know, you get a desk rejection, then you could go ahead and submit to the second or third fourth or 10th place on your list um, until you find the right home for your manuscript and you've improved your manuscript to where it's ready to be published. So part of it too is just like understanding the process and um, having yeah. like reasonable expectations. I remember my first desk rejection and I was like, wow, okay. Like wasn't even <laughs> worth it to read. And then I had to sit and think like, man, I just saved you know, six weeks to six months of my life, right? That I can like just turn this around and send it right back out. I don't have to wait for a delayed rejection, <laughs> you know? And that's, and then that reframing helped me think like, okay, there are been, a, you know, like, how do you find the upside? What's the silver lining here? I remember recently, Kelly, I asked you about a journal that I thought was maybe would be a reach for an article of mine, like to, it was, it's a, like a influential journal, like high impact factor. And your response was, I haven't published there, but they gave me the nicest rejection. <laughs> and like that made me want to submit there because like if it's helpful, if it's a helpful rejection, it can improve the paper. And if they're very quick, then why not? Yeah, it was that's that still stands as my best rejection. And because like it wasn't nice, but it was the the comments were so detailed that like it's gonna, it will, it won't be easy, but it, it should be much easier to make it better, right? It was such a, like, I was reading it like, oh yeah, I would have rejected this too. This makes sense now, you know, and I know what I need to do. It was very clear. So yeah, it's, that, that still holds the record as my favorite rejection. The other thing I think, um, another example, and this isn't really a rejection, but I got feedback on a manuscript that I felt like um, was really like, I took it, I, it was personal to me and it was kind of harsh, but it also was things that um, needed to change that I don't know that I, in that moment, at that point in my career, had the courage to speak up about. And so in that case, that reviewer was really like my ally to force revisions that were necessary that I didn't bring out on my own. Um, and because it was a, it was a, there were, there were 
multiple authors, right? And, and I was the most junior person on this team. And that, that shift in framing helped me to really like deal with the feedback because it was harsh. But it was like, when I, when I shifted in my mind and thought, okay, like this is, you know, this is the help that I needed because I didn't at that moment have the courage to, to say some of those things. Um, it, it changed the whole, my whole perspective. Yeah. And I think you're, oh, go oh. ahead, Jacqueline. So I think like having the failure and rejection and like receiving lots of feedback from peer reviewers has made me like a better peer reviewer. So now when I serve as a peer reviewer, like I can better put myself and like try and make my uh, feedback to other people like um, in a growth promoting way to help them like grow the manuscript um, to be the one that like people want to read in the journal. So um, I think failure helps like both sides of the process. When you said that, I was thinking about like, I think it's helped me, like even when I submit an article and the cover letter to the editor, like how am I going to frame this so it is interesting to them? And I don't think I realized that with the first couple of papers that I was submitting that like they're humans too and need to understand why this matters to them. Uh, and the it peer reviewer is gonna, the peer reviewer and the editor are gonna look at your paper unlike anyone else. Like they're gonna give that paper more time. So like if a peer reviewer comes away from your manuscript confused, like no one else is gonna understand your manuscript. Like if if they're you know dedicating several hours to it and they don't and they're missing something, you know, it's gonna be better. I, for I just was Good. thinking as you guys both were talking is that you know our ultimate goal is to have something that we're proud of. And that moves our work forward. And without failure and rejection, we don't get either of those things, right? I mean, maybe, like, right? But but who has a perfect first draft or for like? So I think um, that's the other thing I think about is just I want to be proud of this, and so I would rather fix it now than put it out there and Ooh, realize. Yeah, that, that would be horrible. After. Yeah, I would like that would be terrible if something got like put out into the world and then somebody found this fatal flaw of it and then you know oof yeah I'd way rather yeah. get it ahead of time and I just have one more thought on that and I, I can't remember where I heard it but like really good feedback is like a gift because someone just gave you so much time and so much effort to like review and think about your work and so like you were talking about Catherine like reframing instead of thinking about feedback of like all the things that you did wrong like thinking about it as like a gift that either someone you know or some like random person you know out in your scientific universe gave you to like really think about your work and help you grow as a as a, as a scientist so just reframing to think about it as a gift yeah that's a nice way to think about it um, one thing I was thinking about the last few minutes that I just think we should just spend a few a few moments here talking about is like going all the way back to the very beginning. Like if you are considering a career in research or science and thinking about applying to a PhD program, there's failure and rejection in that too. Mm -hmm. And I know, I know that both within the three of us, I know I applied to a PhD programs one year and didn't get into anywhere that I applied and had to reapply a second year and it was a second career for me. Um, and it, so that was a hard decision too. And like, oh, maybe that I, I sometimes even still feel this way, like that I Peter principled myself. And I thought that at the time a lot for the, if you are unfamiliar, 
the Peter principle is when people are like really good at their job, so they get promoted, but they get promoted like above their skill level. Mm -hmm. And that's like a deep fear of mine, but like even that's a tangent that we don't need to get into today, but like maybe talking about that application and failure and rejection at the very beginning. I don't know if either of you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I had a very similar experience happened where I applied the first year um, and then just didn't find anywhere that was the right fit. And it, I was so much better off the second year because um, I found a place that would be a better fit for me to grow. Um, and I was just like more ready to, to go on the trajectory and to, ha to have all the things that you need to have um to to go into a PhD program so and I know that one of the things that could be hard about failure is when you see other people succeeding and so and especially like when you know someone personally who succeeded and so like I knew the people who got in but and so at, at the time you're like oh man you know I can't believe this happened but um you know now I'm like so excited for the people that got in and the career that they've had and now they're my colleagues um so yeah, time is always, always provides great perspective, but it could be hard in the moment. Yeah, I was thinking about something even before the application process. When I was thinking about going into a PhD program, I emailed so, like uh, faculty in the program um, that I, you know, had a connection to, and just to inquire, and got like this email that was like, "No, you should look other places. You should do." Yeah, I mean, it was it was, it was rejection, right? And um, when I sat and thought about it, and it it made me sit and think about it. And so when I, I reached back out and was like, no, this is what I want. And this is why and this is why I think this is a good fit. And then he met with me. And, you know, his his argument was like, I needed to know that you knew. I mean, it was almost like a test, a little bit of a mean test, but he became one of my like strongest supporters um, for the rest of my time in the program, you know, getting into the program and throughout the program and after. And I think, um, so, I mean, rejection can come in many different small ways, even before those kind of big applications. And it's really about that persistence piece. And, um, like you said, seeing, well, the rejection's not a gift, the reviewers are a gift, but seeing it has, um, an opportunity to reflect, reframe, reconsider, and really just kind of figure out to be resilient, to persist, to push through. Yeah, that I think is like the take home message to push through, be resilient, find the persistence and wait for the right fit because, you know, every article isn't the right fit for every journal. Every student isn't the right fit for every program and every mentor, you know, that and, you know, it just might not be the time or the place, but it doesn't mean it's the, uh, the wrong path. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Anybody have anything else? I think those are good final thoughts. Thank Thanks you for joining. Jacqueline. Thank you, Jacqueline, for, for joining yeah. and sharing your wisdom on this topic. <laughs> I'm always happy to, to talk about, I'm happy to talk about anything, but you can always talk about failure. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Check out our other episodes to hear more. You can find the first season on YouTube under Washington University Program and Occupational Therapies channel under the First Fridays for OT Research playlist.
and more episodes of Demystifying Research linked under the Research tab on the Washington University OT webpage at ot.wustl.edu. That's ot.wustl.edu. Send us your ideas for future episodes at demystifyingresearch at... <laughs>